Podcast. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today on Missing the Point, we'll break down the biggest storylines coming out of an action-packed wildcard weekend in the NFL. From a narrow win for the Buffalo Bills versus the Indianapolis Colts to an upset in Seattle as the Rams take down the Seahawks. Brady holds off the Washington football team, and Lamar finally gets his first playoff win. And don't forget about the Browns' shock dominating win versus Pittsburgh. We'll look at all the matchups and look ahead to the divisional round and preview the matchups for the remaining teams as Super Bowl 55 starts to creep closer. But first, some housekeeping. Missing the Point is a one-hour podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript from today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. And now, this is Missing the Point, episode 31. But it's all relative. Hello and welcome to Missing the Point, the show born in 2020 so we could all take breaks between drinking and crying, and yet here we are still drinking while we're recording. We kept asking Ted if we could have a talk, but they kept saying they needed novel and interesting ideas, whatever that means. Here we are. Let me introduce today's cast of characters. First, we have Mike Marcangelo, a fine, upstanding citizen. He's asked me to read this before he gets on the show. From this point forward, due to disputes with the podcast, he will henceforth be known as the podcaster formerly known as Mike. If it makes things easier, you guys can just call him Mike for short. Michael also works. Thanks. Mike, apologies for the image rights issue, but otherwise. I'm doing great, dude. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I was going to cut you off, but I figured I didn't want to be like Dave. So speaking of Dave, next is Dave Clark. That's right. The same name as the English rock and roll band from the 1960s. So if you've been listening to us since August, you're probably going, I've heard that name somewhere. 
In the context of our podcast, though, a Dave Clark five is when you receive a backhanded compliment, a high five, and leave the entire interaction feeling 1% worse about yourself. DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, how's it going? Good, man. I'd just like to say before we start, it's really brave of you to just come on the Zoom and just not care at all what you look like. To just throw on any old thing. It's bravo. I really, the bravery. Usually when I'm preparing for these, my wife says, oh, are you guys recording in video tonight? And I say, we always record in video. And she says, you should look nicer. And I'm like, ah, I've known these guys too long now. They're just going to get what they get at this point. I think, I just think it's a brave choice. Yeah, it always is. I see. I feel 1% worse about myself. And producing this fine piece of podcasting is young Craig D'Alessandro. Many of our fine listeners have commented that it's nice. We have some fine Italian heritage making this thing go. And we agree. We're very glad he kept things Italian when we forced him to change his last name from Caligula. I just like to keep him around because he makes people sleep with the fishes. All right, guys, let's blow up this cheese factory and make sure that all that's left is debris. See, this is why we can't do this through video, because I look into three of you and I lose it. All right, so we have a lot to unpack when it comes to the NFL. We've just finished up wild card weekend Interesting weekend, nonetheless. I think this was a very entertaining weekend of NFL football, especially for Dave, who was the only one of us who had his team in the playoffs. So it was definitely very exciting. He definitely had a few meltdowns before and during the game until about the fourth quarter when he recognized it was probably over. But so let's get into some of these storylines from the weekend. And Mike, I'm going to start with you and ask you what your biggest surprise of the weekend was. Honestly, I I think for me, it's Jared Goff, right? The Rams and him playing through adversity. I think one of the things that I always thought about him was that he would just run the script. Sean McVay would have a script for him and he could do the first 10 plays of the game and the first 10 plays after the half and then he fell apart. He wasn't scheduled to play this game. He came in and with a broken thumb or a surgically repaired thumb just 10 days ago, he played very well and he kept his team in a position to win. So... For me, he, he showed balls for the first time, and that he's, he was my biggest surprise. Do you think, Mike, that's because he wasn't intended to be the starter because John Wolford was supposed to be the, the starter? And he was just released from the hospital on, on Monday when we're recording this because he took a pretty big hit during that game. But do you think Goff having to come in a supporting role, almost like a, a pitcher being run out in the second inning and, and a long reliever having to come in and, and finish that game off? Yeah, maybe. I think that also goes to dispel everything that I ever thought about him because I thought he was only good because he was running his scripted plays. He didn't have any this game and he still was very good. Yeah, I was actually going to, before you even ask that question, Joe, I was going to jump in and say that because I feel like the pressure was off him. I already lost the job. There's nothing left to lose. Might as well just go throw. I, I wouldn't say he's like a confidence guy because I just like, I wasn't so not confident in him and he seemed irrationally confident at times while making mistakes. But I do think that the, the pressure was a little off, but Wolford was playing really well. It, it seemed really devastating to their chances of winning that game when you had to bring Goff back in, but he definitely came in and got the job done. Another factor might have been momentum. Like the momentum was already going that their way, I think. It was like a, it was a big theme across a lot of the games. And I think that momentum stayed with the Rams when and Goff came in and just rode that same wave and he, he approached it the right way, you know. If you remember, Goff came in the first quarter. Like uh, Wolford was only three of six for thirty yards at that point. But it was it was, the way he was playing. It was like he was playing. It was looking good. You know what I mean? Like he was moving the chains. He was moving the ball. It was like, oh, okay, this guy can throw. He threw a couple like dimes. You know what I mean? 
I just think I, I, I gained a lot of respect for Goff. Now, again, he wasn't great, but for him to overcome all the things that he had to overcome to play hurt, he came in and he did a really good job. He never put his team in a bad position, which is all you can ask for a quarterback coming in and subbing in a game. Especially on a team that is going to win you the game because your defense is so good. And I know all about that. I know all about that. Please just don't make any mistakes is what you're asking your quarterback to do. And that's a very viable game plan if your defense is elite, which I think the Rams defense is. He came in and he did his job. So you can't criticize him, at least not today or yesterday. So we'll get to more of Jared Goff when we get to that game. But my biggest surprise of the weekend to to jump in and then I'll go to Dave. But my biggest surprise was the Steelers. Oh, did you go out. first because you knew that was going to be mine? Um, actually, I didn't, but you know what? Because I am the host, and that is yours as well, I, I want to hear it from your point of view because you have a Steelers fan in the household. Yeah, I think you and I both agree on this one. Oh, dude, it was just like, it was just so shocking. Like, it, I think it was not only probably our biggest surprise of the weekend, but like the biggest surprise of the weekend. I understand what you're saying, Mike, but damn, dude, like, they just got smacked in the face like four times in a row. And it's one of those things where if one thing is different, maybe the whole game is different. If that snap doesn't sail over Ben's head at the very beginning of the game, from the last guy on the on the Steelers you would think is going to make a dumb mistake. What's that center's name? Yeah, Pouncey. So Pouncey snaps it over his head. He's an all-pro center. Like he's never... He hasn't, he's made the all, all pro team like the last few years. He's never made a mistake like that, especially not in a high profile game. He's the best guy on their offensive line to see him do that. It's like, this is a freak occurrence. What's happening right here. So that goes over and it's damn dude. Like now the whole thing's off the rails. You know what I mean? I'd also say Ben picked a really interesting time to do a Cam Newton impersonation and not dive on the football. Like he just stood there and watched. I think he thought the other guy that was running for it was going to jump on it. Because he should have jumped on it. And they both hesitated to, to each other. And they, one of them should have fell on it for sure because they were both first to the ball. So Ben should have just not run for it. Is really the, like what the he should have fastest he's moved all year. I know, but he didn't want to go in, go down. Like they've kept him so wrapped up in cotton wool and, and bubble wrap because his body is completely breaking down. And I don't think that's even what happened. Like he made a couple of dumb mistakes, but like his body didn't necessarily let him down in that being old, maybe like his arm not being the same and not doing the same things, but it's not like he got hurt or was limping around. I've seen him more banged up than that because they don't use him. Like you said, they don't use him. I think if we're just talking about the confines of the Pittsburgh game, Joe, and then obviously you can, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here. I think what was most surprising for me is that, they made so many weird mistakes that a Mike Tomlin team doesn't historically make. And I don't think he's a great coach, right? He doesn't call plays, doesn't scheme, but he usually has his guys ready. And those were such boneheaded mistakes, like that awful snap that never happens. Pouncey's an all pro. Tomlin has his guys ready to play. It, It almost was like, for me watching it, they didn't take the Browns seriously at all to start. It was quicksand. They just could never get back going which blows my mind because the the browns played well against them the first two times they played this season this was the third time these two teams met to fall that flat against a team that you should know and you played a week prior that's a little tough to watch so but i'll change mine since dave and i had the same but i'll adjust mine and say the washington football team i think that team is moving in the right direction i i really do Maybe they found their new quarterback, which we'll get to again when we go over this game. But that defense was very good. And I said it in our in our Discord last week. If they give up 21 points, 
they will lose. And they gave up 31 and they lost, because, but they scored 23. I, I think that Washington football team was moving in the right direction. I think that was a, a great game. And I just don't think they're at that point yet to win that playoff game. We want to wait until we see what the Bucks look like against the Saints as a playoff team before we start saying that the Washington football team did like super well. I think that they did have some good performances at the end of the season, but every game was so close this weekend that it makes me think that there's some weird juju in the air. No pun intended. The weird stuff happening with the Steelers, like that game being close, the Bears keeping it close against the Saints, even though everybody thought the Saints were going to blow out the Bears except for me, which is why I was even more sad. But yeah, I think you maybe wait because I'm not sure I trust the Buccaneers yet. Do you already trust them? No, I, I don't trust, but I, I haven't trusted them since the beginning of the season. But, but could we say that this was a, a typical Tom Brady style game playing down to the competition? Based on what you're saying, Dave, I think what you're saying is that that they're going to play up to the Saints because the Saints are a better competition. And we, and we may see them score 40. I think that they were doing a few things a little casually, the Buccaneers also. He was going through a lot of different receivers, which I don't think he does that normally. I think he like picks a guy and then goes after him. He was using like the lower guys on the rotation a lot. And then there was a couple key drops, which made me think from guys that like didn't, I know they won, but from guys that don't normally drop the ball. I wonder if they were working some stuff out, if they were trying some new routes. Like, I think they might have been real confident that they were going to win that game. And then because you saw the game plan then adjust and they like locked in when the score was still close and then it became inevitable. So Tom Brady style offense. Yeah, I guess so. If you're telling you were watching the Patriots for a lot longer than I was. So if you're telling me that's the kind of thing he does early in, in playoff rounds. I mean, it's still weird for so many people to not see him in a Patriots uniform. The fact that he's wearing that pewter and red and he's in Tampa. I think Dave and I, you and I hashed this out a long a while back about my true feelings of Tom Brady. I think I am just a little jealous and I'm a little upset he's not here. And Did you guys and you ever know watch what? Power Rangers growing up? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. all the time. It's, when I look at him in the Buccaneers jersey, it's he's turned evil. And he's or like when a new Ranger would show up and they were like more badass than the other Power Rangers, they would have like shoulder pads inexplicably. Yeah. It's he just went and got shoulder pads from like Rita Repulsa. And now he's just, <laughs> I'm super powerful and showing up to fight the rest of the Rangers. He just looks like he's dressed like an evil version of himself, essentially. What I will say is if they had another person playing quarterback for the Buccaneers, they would have lost that game. It, it, it looked to me like what you both pointed out, that they were playing down to their competition and there were things that just weren't going right. But when you needed something to happen, Brady made it happen. He did what he always does. It, if you just want to talk about it, the third quarter was the chance for the football team to catch up. But the Buccaneers didn't score anything. Brady then puts up 13 in the fourth. He just does have that. Kobe Bryant assassination mindset that like he's always had. So he just went out and put him away. And I, I'll say this, like not to make this a let's praise Tom Brady hour, but I know this is painful for you guys. So I'm glad to keep it going for a little bit. I think you have to give him even more credit for playing at the level that he's playing at for his age. And I know that's the thing people talk about it all the time. But I think when you see 38 year old Ben Roethlisberger start to break down, 41 year old Drew Brees has calmed down an entire tier in his quarterback play, still very effective but he's not Drew Brees anymore. Neither is Roethlisberger. All of his contemporaries, the people that were generally seen as his contemporary, Philip Rivers, not on his level, his peers have all just started to break down in a dramatic way. And he's two to three years older than those guys. And he's still performing at this Tom Brady level. And 
deciding when his team is going to win. And I think it's very impressive. I know it's not good business to doubt him, but it's just something in my gut is telling me the Bucks are not going to go all the way. I think you can doubt the Bucks, but have faith in Brady, if that makes sense. Like, I think that he does a lot. He just can't do everything anymore. I talked about that at the beginning of the season where he never had to worry about anything else. Now it seems like they figured it out and their team is just talented enough to get there. But there, there's cracks there. You mentioned all of his contemporaries falling apart. I guess like the the cacao ice cream really does it, dude. That's what's kept him on the field. It's the avocado ice cream and Tom's uh, special sauce. Jordan had. I'm sure they're not just like kidnapping orphans and making some sort of special sauce for him to stay young. It's definitely like an evil empire, guys. If you can't spot an evil empire, then you didn't watch enough TV growing up. Dave, listen, there's too many evil empires right now. We can only concentrate on the ones that affect us most, okay? I can't wait. It's going to come out in like 20 years, like the kind of shit that like the TB12 company is up to right now. And oh, without a doubt. Wild. That stuff is, it's going to come And that's, it's half the reason why I don't even bother myself with it. I wouldn't have associated myself with TB12 when he was here and I wouldn't now. So there goes our chance of ever getting Tom Brady on the podcast. Can't afford the bag of peanuts. I know. I was just going to say the same thing. The TB12 cashews are like $40 a bag. Plus the way he was talking about moving to Tampa, it so little of the stuff he was saying was had anything to do with the Buccaneers. He was like, I love the weather. And like, I'm all I'm hearing is I love the tax rate. Have you seen the, the, the show <laughs> like, that he does with Gronkowski? It's called Tommy and Gronky. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's awful. It's absolutely atrocious. And Dave, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. You're absolutely right. We've only seen one other quarterback play until he, he was 43. Breeze may get there, but I don't know. I, th- I think you're right about him. He's just breaking down. I think Breeze is done. I think I'm pretty sure... At the end of whatever game they lose, which is probably going to be this one, he'll announce his retirement. I would put hard money on that. Here's my hot take. I think if Tom Brady does win, he'll retire. I don't know, dude. He's got another year, another guaranteed contract. I bet Julian Edelman winds up there next year. I think he wants to do, I think he wants to run it back because he agreed to play until he was 45 for TB12. That's it. I'll paint you a scenario where he definitely does or doesn't come back it's it's one or the other let me get to the end and i'll figure out which one it is if they play the chiefs and get like completely destroyed by the dynamic fast incredibly unbelievable amount of points scored in a short period of time offense of the chiefs and it looks like when the oklahoma city thunder played the golden state warriors and it was like oh yeah like you're almost there he'll come back but if they just get blown out it's like oh there's some rebuilding to do that that era of football doesn't win super bowls anymore if that's what we learn that the tom brady style of quarterback doesn't win super bowls anymore that there's a possibility that we learn that if the chiefs come in and just starch them so then he might want to bow out gracefully at that point but maybe he gets a chip on his shoulder about that i don't know he's a weird dude but if something like that happens anyone else in the nfc that can beat them I think this, the Saints and the Packers can beat them. I, do. I, I don't think the Saints can beat them. And I also think he'll work Aaron Rodgers for sure. Yeah, he would. He He's winning an NFC championship game over Aaron Rodgers 10 times out of 10, in my opinion. I, I agree, too, because as you guys know from our last show, I just think that the Saints and the Packers are soft. They are not battle-tested enough in the playoffs. And Bruce Arians is, what, 2-2 two and two in the playoffs now? Tom Brady's 32-11. and 11. That's his postseason record. He'll he'll get there. And when he loses, he doesn't get blown out often. It was the Ravens game in, in, in 09. And that's really it in terms of, of a blowout in the playoffs. So what I'll say is, if he does get to Mahomes, and that is close, he's coming back. I think if he got blown out, he'd be so pissed off. He, he would announce he's coming back 
the minute he steps off the field, we'll see him again next year. So I don't think I don't think they're done, but I can rant about Brady for the entire show. That 09 playoff loss to the Ravens, I can still see Ray Rice running up the right sideline. And that run really elevated Ray Rice and the Ravens to their uh, first playoff win that year. Okay, no one got that joke. Okay, so we're moving. L- L- yeah, oh, okay. Too yeah. soon. Yeah. Jesus. All right, so let's move into the games because we can get back into that Brady conversation, the Breeze conversation as we go through each game. But let's hit on each game's talking points and what we saw. First, we'll go literally in order of how the games occurred. So we'll start with the AFC 7 seed against the AFC 2 seed, the Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills get the state of New York to grant them fans in their stadium for their first playoff game since 1995. 6,700 fans or so were in the stadium and the Buffalo Bills come out. This was a three point game. I was very impressed by the Buffalo Bills and we were talking about it during the game. I think the Bills played pretty well. So let's talk about the game as a whole at first. Mike, what were your thoughts on this one? For me, I was surprised by how well the Colts were playing. I thought when you think about Phillip Rivers, you think about the playoffs, he's entering this game, he's five and six. He's just, he's probably the greatest quarterback of all time to never get to a Super Bowl. Even playing one, I think that's a fair assessment. But he was 4-0 in the wildcard round before. I thought he played really well. But for me, I don't look at this game as the, the Bills won. I just say the Colts lost. And the reason why I say that is because Frank Wright made a lot of weird decision makings and and play calls that cost his team points. I remember just off the top of my head, 10 points that they should have had that they did not. They only lost by three. Josh Allen, I think he proved a lot of his naysayers wrong. I think he was very elusive, but he was also smart. He didn't make any decisions when throwing the ball in this game. I thought he earned his stripes. 26 of 35, 324, two touchdowns. It's hard to argue with that. So I think the right team won. I would have loved to have seen the Colts win, though, because I think that there's more of an aura around the Buffalo Bills or the Bills Mafia when their team just can't get over the hump. But they they did. First time in, in, in a quarter of a century. Yeah, this would really take a lot of wind out of the sails of Bills Mafia if they keep going on this. Bills Mafia literally was formed or basically around them just not being so good. Oh, sorry, they're, they're going to run out of tables soon. Everyone's going through tables. They're putting babies through tables there. This play, They're going nuts. I, I love their fans. I don't like their football team. Dick Sporting Goods and Target are really going through a lot of tables, and they're loving uh, every minute of it. I'm sure they shipped a bunch up there when they found out there was fans going to the game. I'll say this about Allen, though. On that note, the amount of pressure that he was feeling as the franchise quarterback of a franchise with a fan base like that hasn't won uh, a playoff game since 95 and being a young quarterback and being a young quarterback with a lot of criticism on his back. Now, you guys know I'm a big Josh Allen guy. I've been a big Josh Allen guy since the start of the season. I think he's a really talented dude. I didn't even expect him to be as good as he was this season. I really I don't think anybody could have expected that. But it's probably the biggest year on year improvement by a quarterback that I've ever seen at least in the pocket. I think that with mobile quarterbacks, what you often see is it takes them multiple years to ever develop a pocket presence because when they go through high school and they go through college, they're able to just use their legs better. You know what I mean? They've just been that much faster than everybody. And that's why they're a mobile quarterback in the NFL. In the NFL, all the linebackers are real, real fast too. And when they get to you, they're going to hit you really hard. So we need you to figure out how to throw in the pocket. Otherwise, you're not going to win games. I think for him to make that much of a leap, and then get to the playoffs. I, I, his completion percentage improvement was something like 50 to 70. They were talking about that on the broadcast. And that's crazy. 
for him to go through all that and then have all this news cycle talking around him, lots of criticism, lots of doubt, to play as many primetime games as they did this year, to play as many night games, to win all those, to come in here with this whole Bills Mafia thing going on, with this whole like, here we are, don't fuck it up for us this time, Joshy, as a young quarterback, to then start the game off in a poor way and have momentum slip away from you and then to claw that back and start to get into a rhythm and start to play your own game and and do the things that you've done to that were successful that got you there in the first place i think that's a very mentally strong individual and i think that we're going to see him and i this isn't, isn't news to anybody but i think we're going to see him be a top 5 quarterback in the nfl for the next decade based on that because it's all in the eye test of his character like he could have let that get on his shoulders and he didn't and then playing against a veteran like philip rivers like you were talking about mike that's intimidating i know the quarterbacks don't play each other but we all know they do so it's, it's that's how we frame all these big quarterback matchups especially as you get deeper and deeper into the playoffs to look across and see philip rivers 4 and 0 like you said in the wild card round and then to beat him you got to give him credit dude i don't think the colts lost for that reason i think that the the pressure to win was on allen there was a lot of the nice things that you just said about josh allen were true a thousand percent but it helps to have stefan Diggs, doesn't it i mean it sure does six <laughs> catches 128 yards and a touchdown he was on fire and again he came through in the clutch moments he accounted for literally 400 yards of offense himself yeah, that's actually pretty normal for him. And we talked about that a little bit during the game, how much we all really like Devin Singletary and, and Zach Moss. But Josh Allen gets those legs moving. And Dave, you're absolutely right. He found that balance, right? Like he can be that pocket passer. He's got so much more accurate. But Mike, to, to your digs point where you were, you said a lot of nice things, but it helps. Well, that just tells me that was an organizational move that they realized, oh, shoot, we need to go get our guy, a guy. And they went and got him. And Stefan Diggs is loving his time in Buffalo. To go from Minnesota to Buffalo, you go from playing indoors to outdoors. It, that just fits. Like that relationship between those two guys has become so good. And Dave, to your point about Josh Allen, he was embraced so much by the city of Buffalo. They actually showed the video of him being drafted. And every Bills fan in the place went absolutely insane because they knew they had their guy. They knew they found their quarterback of the future and they've all uh, many have said in buffalo he embodies what buffalo bills football is all about you couldn't be more right about everything and i agree with you that he's going to be a top five quarterback i I think he's just getting there we've seen him i said it earlier in the season and you just said it again he's just gotten better every week he's gotten better not just every season it's been impressive yeah and to your point about saying it helps to have stefan diggs i bet stefan diggs thinks it helps to have josh allen instead of fucking kirk cousins throwing you balls all day because i bet his life got a hell of a lot sweeter this season too and i'm not sure of his exact stats but i bet he has more touchdowns and i bet he has more receiving yards and i bet he has more targets and i bet he has more receptions i was gonna come back to the Diggs thing too uh, he's not splitting time with Thielen. He is the guy in Buffalo. And also, Kirk Cousins, his play diminishes when all hell breaks loose. Josh Allen thrives. That's entertainment, though, when you're not playing against him. Yeah, for the first time in forever, like I'm scared to play the Bills. And I think if it's anybody but the Chiefs, they're, they're, they're going to run through everybody. And two things that have been big for the Bills this year has been Cole Beasley, who they signed as a free agent from Dallas. And then not only that, Dawson Knox. I walked back into the room. We were watching the game in the other day and my wife goes, the Bills scored a touchdown. I said, who'd they throw it to? She goes, Dawson Knox. First of all, I was amazed. She knew who the hell he threw it to. But then I was like, I would love to have a guy like that. Oh, wait, 
the Patriots literally could have had Dawson Knox. This is going to be my hopefully only shot at the Patriots here of amazing what happens when you put a good quarterback, a good receiver, and a good tight end together. Wish we had that. So let's move on to the next game. The Bills won that game 27-24. Mike mentioned interesting coaching decisions by Frank Reich, including a a two-point conversion, a failed two-point conversion in the third quarter, which really didn't need to happen. So the Colts very easily could have won that game. I think you can look at it from both perspectives, but the Colts lost that game. But Dave, you're right. Josh Allen put on his big boy pants and finished that game off after starting poorly. That was a great way to start this weekend because then we moved into, I think, one of the most anticipated games in the NFC, and that was the Rams and the Seahawks. The first interdivisional game of the playoffs between these two teams. And we all had very differing opinions on this one going in. What would be the X factor? Was it going to be the Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf equation, or was it going to be that that Rams defense? And Mike, you found the X factor. You said it a little while ago. I don't want to get too grab assy here, but you were right last week when we, when we had the, the playoff team show. Like You said the Rams defense is elite. I disregarded it, and I just thought that Russ and DK were better. I was wrong because on this day, that defense stood up. They held up. And I think for me, the X factor, like we talked about before, was Jared Goff, man. I think he he just stood up at a time where there was very low expectations for him to even be in this game. Seattle was planning for him all week because McVay was doing his little Belichick genius coaching thing and not giving them who's actually going to start. But he knew he wasn't going to play. He was loose all week. Wolford goes down. All hell breaks loose. Goff gets in there, goes 9 of 19, 155 yards, a touchdown. Bad quarterback rating, QBR of under 50. But he didn't make any mistakes. That's what he's always done in crunch time in the playoffs. In really big games, he flounders. This time, he didn't. So for me, he earned my respect. I think he earned his job for the foreseeable future. And I think if you're a Rams fan, there's a lot of upside for this game. Dave, I want to start with you on that defensive side because I'm looking at their defensive numbers and Aaron Donald, two sacks, three tackles. Leonard Floyd, two sacks. You had Darius Williams with the the three tackles and, and an interception. This defense really stepped up and Mike said so did Jared Goff, but this defense was such a good compliment to that offense this week. Yeah, dude, totally. I I was right on board with you. I called the Rams going into this on the official selections on the Missing the Point Instagram. Yes, Aaron Donald was right up in his face the entire time, which pressuring good quarterbacks is like basically the only recipe for success in today's NFL. So they did pressure him and they made him look average. But also DK Metcalf has been destroying people all season. He's a freak athlete. It's early in his career, but Darius Williams went in there and completely locked him down. To me, that's the key to the game. He went, he got it. He had a pick six. He kept DK Metcalf to absolutely piss poor, miserable numbers on the day. And he, he messes with Russell Wilson all the time. I'm pretty sure he picked him off to at least once on the defensive side of the ball. They just had their number, dude. That's just the way it is. Like they, they completely, they had a game plan. It worked. Jared Goff, like you even admitted, Mike, he just went in there and he didn't make any mistakes and he let his defense win the game for him. To take a defense into the playoffs and go against a playoff-tested elite-level quarterback like Russell Wilson and to make the bet that your defense is going to win you the game is a brave bet and one that I think most people did not think were going to pay off, even though we all knew what they were going to do because that's how they play, it, it paid off. And I think Seattle has a lot to look at in the offseason. For some reason, people love Savage and Russell. I think maybe because he's been underperforming the last few seasons, but I think he's elite. I think he's a great quarterback. I think the Seahawks have a lot of talent. I think they were, they played weird this season. They're, they played less than I thought that they were going to do. So they got some stuff to look at, but that's for them to worry about. The Rams are on to the next round. So good for them. 
I would be I would catch a lot of flag from Rayshon, who's not here tonight, if I did not take this time to point out that Cam Akers was doing his best Eric Dickerson impersonation. 28 carries, 131 yards, a touchdown. He was solid. He was the guy to give the rock to. He never let you down. He didn't fumble. I think you're right. Jalen Ramsey shut down DK Metcalf. And when we say that, we mean he held him to under 100 yards and two touchdowns. One was a garbage time touchdown. Five catches, 96 yards, two TDs. For us to say that's him shutting him down, and it's true, that just shows you how good DK is. But it also shows you how, I think, one-dimensional the Seattle offense is now because Carson isn't a proven uh, commodity in the NFL. He's not Marshawn Lynch, right? Carlos Hyde isn't what he used to be. Russell Wilson, in nut cutting time against a good defense, can only throw the ball deep. And what we saw a couple of days ago is that it just doesn't work. I think some of that comes down to coaching as well. I think I think Pete Carroll has always been one to feed into media speculation and the talking heads. And he sees DK and he understands what kind of a talent that is. But Mike, I was going to say the same thing. That was shutting the offense down by keeping DK to that. And, and I think you're absolutely right. And it's interesting because you look at a 32-year-old Russell Wilson and you wonder what's next for him because obviously they have the number one guy up there and I think they're going to need to surround him with something else because Tyler Lockett is is probably he's a good number two we saw him had have two huge games during the regular season but there's they seem to be getting to the that point and they just they they can't get over that hump anymore he just needs someone to to get him open it feels to me and I could be wrong so if you're listening out there please come at me I I promise I'll love it but it feels to me like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett run the same routes just on different sides of the field like they they just do the same thing Russell Wilson needs either an underneath guy like an Edelman or a Cole Beasley like you were talking about or they need a pass catching tight end which is not something that they've had since Jimmy Graham and he wasn't great in Seattle he was great New Orleans but they need something like that to open up things for DK because it, it appears to me they've given up on the rushing aspect of offense in Seattle. That's, that's what I was going to say though. I think that they looked a lot scarier at the start of the season and like an elite level offense went Chris Carson before his injury and he was, he looked like himself. And I think Carlos Hyde did a serviceable job filling in for him, but he's not the same running back. Chris Carson didn't look to me like the same guy that, uh, I saw when I watched some Seahawks games at the start of the season, and I didn't really see a lot of them middle and end of the season. But then to see them in the playoffs again, I was like, he does not look as confident running the ball. So I think that would open up uh, a lot of situations because then uh, Russ is so dangerous on the play action too because any of those bootlegs that he moves outside, you have to immediately dedicate one, if not two linebackers to him to make sure he doesn't move on you because, and then they suck up and he can just hit anybody he wants. You need to establish the running game to pull that off. Otherwise, they're not going to bite on the play action. Like This is football one-on-one, right? I think that stilting, injury-riddled starting running back situation, as you were saying, they, is why they gave up on running the ball. And that definitely was the, to their detriment. It could have been that, that that their defense just isn't what it used to be. That Russell Wilson is not used to having to come back from big deficits. They're not built that way because Chris Carson averaged 4.2 yards a carry. So it's pretty good. And yeah, not, is 16 carries, 77 yards with so 4.8 yards. Maybe they, they should have gone to him more. But they couldn't because they were down so much that they had to throw. When your defense is that bad, we've had that team here in New England before. Dave, you've always had a good defense. But when your defense is that bad, you cannot afford to run the ball anymore. And this is what happens, I think, for me, 
if we're taking an autopsy of the Seattle Seahawks, they need to focus on their defense because they have Russell and they have DK locked up for a, at least a, a few more years. I think they need to focus on that offense a little bit because I'm really examining their offensive numbers here. And you really, you just hit the nail on the head with their offense. It just, it it wasn't clicking when you take away that option of Russ being able to move out and then find a guy. He's so good on the run, right? Like Dave, you said it, he's elite. He's always been so good watching him throw a, a perfect spiral uh, on the run, whether he's throwing across his body or not, it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch in football, but 11 of 27 for 174, Chris Carson, 16 for 77. That's just not a lot of offensive production. Just the thing is he's good, dude, but he's not, nobody's good when Aaron Donald is in your face for an entire day. And Absolutely. Good when their best player is completely getting locked up by a cornerback. So like we were giving the Rams the credit before, and I think that is what happened. I think that they just game planned him so perfectly. And I think that Mike's right. Like they might not have been able to do that to them if their defense didn't blow it for them so aggressively and force them into a game plan. It's the sort of the same thing that happened to a couple different teams this weekend. Like the Steelers had to just start slinging the ball and it was working for a second, but realistically, if they know you're never going to run, then yeah, your quarterbacks, it's up to your quarterback. And then those factors factor in where it's Aaron Donald is, is splitting your offensive line every single time. And it's just not the same as when, when none of that was happening. If you would have told me that after four weeks of this season where Russell Wilson was playing at an MVP caliber rate, we all thought he was going to be in contention that in his only playoff game this year, he was going to have two more completions and 19 more yards and a one thumb Jared Goff. I would have called you a moron. And that's exactly what happened. DK had 96 yards. Russell Wilson at 174 total. You shut him down, and not to quote Ray, it's ball game. They can't beat you with anybody else but him. Yeah, that's 78 yards to everybody else, which is which. And they, you mentioned the tight ends earlier. They don't have a terrible core of tight ends. Will Disley and Jacob Hollister. I wish we had a guy like Jacob Hollister in New England, but unfortunately, we don't anymore. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter as we move into it, this next game. So the Rams uh, take down the Seahawks 30-20. to 20. They take on the number one seed in the NFC, the Green Bay Packers, next week. Fun fact before we move on from them. You made that joke that Akers is doing his best Eric Dickerson impression, Mike. First Rams rookie to run for 100 yards in a playoff game. And the next most... Eric Dickerson, 99 in 1983. So he was doing his best Eric Dickerson impression in, a Rams, in an L.A. Rams uniform nonetheless. So we've now made Cam Akers, Eric Dickerson. Hopefully that comes to fruition down the line. That would be great for the Los Angeles Rams. So they'll take on the Packers next weekend. Now let's move into the most anticipated game in New England for this weekend because so many people have become Tom Brady fans and abandoned the Patriots, but we'll see you back in new England when he retires, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Washington football team 31 to 23. This was just another really good football game. What were our takeaways from this one? We talked about a little in the open. I think a lot of it's the same stuff we were saying before, but also something that surprised me as deep as we think that Tom Brady's weapons are, they're even deeper. Like he was throwing completions to guys that I was like, sorry, who, you know, like the second tight end and stuff. And it's, that's a scary proposition for the NFC. I think that whoever comes out of the AFC and I've been saying this all season, whoever comes out of the AFC is the Super Bowl champion. I think it's a foregone conclusion, but it's going to be real fun 
to watch him play against Aaron Rodgers if that inevitability comes up. And it's going to be real fun to watch him play against Drew Brees, and mainly for the disparity in their in their aging processes that I was talking about earlier. And I think it's a pre-written narrative for the broadcasters that day. Very easy for them to just, the second Drew starts to, you know, that garbage stuff the Saints are doing with the two quarterback community and stuff. It's no, Tom Brady's going in there. He's going to play pocket quarterback. He's going to do it at the same level he's been doing it for the last seven years, maybe not like the last 27 at the, at that level. It's still enough to win playoff games. The saints have absolutely no chance. In my opinion, one of the takeaways for this game is that they had uh, Tampa Bay had four receivers with more than four catches. So Brady spread it out. That's tons. That's crazy. It's like now Brady's getting back to the Brady that we loved 15 years ago where he threw to the open guy, not his guy, the open guy. He just happened to have a plethora of talent there in Tampa well, you Bay. You were criticizing him for not doing that in the regular season, am I wrong? He, here. He started to go to, yeah, yeah, he started to go to old habits, right? Yeah, I think he was focusing either on, on Antonio Brown when he first got there or, or Mike Evans. But now he's spreading it across the field. But I, I think for me, if we have a surprise in every game, my biggest surprise was Leonard Fournette. This is why you got him. This game was why you got him because the run game in Tampa Bay looked abysmal without Ronald Jones. It was awful. But Fournette, 19 carries, 93 yards, a touchdown. He was there to eat up the yards and eat up the clock when he needed to. Brady, he doesn't love running backs. He loved him once, right? Corey Dillon. That was it. He loved him for one year. That was it. He has such, such a deep bench in Tampa. It would take a catastrophic collapse for them not to go to the Super Bowl. Cut two. I said it would take a catastrophic collapse, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> situational correctness. So what's interesting is you guys mentioned how deep this team is. And what's interesting is a lot of the depth was already there. It was already there before Tom Brady even walked in the door. There was a guy there last year named Jameis Winston, who's now the third quarterback for the Saints, as Dave talks about the Saints' two-quarterback system. But he's now the number three quarterback with the New Orleans Saints. But last year, granted, he threw 30 interceptions, but he threw 30 touchdowns with the Tampa Bay Bucks, And he had Mike Evans, Cameron Brait, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, and he had Ronald Jones in the backfield. So he, those are all the guys he had. And then... Tom Brady walks in, Chris Godwin gives him his number, changes to number 14, and Brady says, hey, let's get Gronkowski, let's bring in Fournette, and oh, by the way, can we sign Antonio Brown as well? So a team that was already deep, it was just, was not only put deeper, but it was like, he was forcing trades in Madden, basically. I don't think that it's a surprise that Tom Brady has the weapons that he has, and he's doing a better job than James Winston. The more Tom Brady does, the more we have to ask ourselves the question. We knew he was pretty bad, but just how bad is Jameis Winston? <laughs> because the 43-year-old Tom Brady is in there doing what he definitely could not do. And yeah, 30 touchdowns is okay, but apparently not really with those weapons. And then 30 interceptions? That's terrible. <laughs> Still not to a game, so at least he has that going for him. I think just one last thing, just to reinforce my Brady point, is that we talked about that there's four receivers on this team that had more than four catches. Gronk had none. He did not even look his way. He just threw to the open guy. And I still think Gronk had a great game blocking. I think there were a lot of – I don't want to get into the the all-52s here, but I think that it was a really good game for him. But for me, 
Brady did in this game what we were begging him to do with the trash, aside from like Edelman and Gronk that we put around him in, the, in a few years here in New England and just throw to the open guy. He did it. He won. And he moved, like I said, to 32-11 and 11 in the playoffs. That's fucking insane, people. 32-11. and 11. And what's amazing to me is we saw, in, in just to do the comparison, because everybody wants to do it, so let's do it. We saw a, a Bill Belichick New England team this year start off all right. We saw them start off okay. They picked up a little momentum, fell off, and then it really was wavering and then just fell flat. But you saw with Tom Brady what you saw under similar conditions in the sense that there was no offseason or traditional offseason. There was no preseason. But this Tom Brady team did exactly what a Tom Brady team did in New England many times previously where they just got better as the season went on and multiple people on this podcast were killing the Buccaneers early in the season. Like they're not playing well. This is not what they expected, but I will reference the time in 2014 when this team went to two and two and got smoked 44 to 14 by Kansas city in Kansas city. And I basically went to Facebook and said, that's it. Write them off. They're done. Brady's done. Everybody. And Mike came in and was like, hang on a second. (laughs) And basically said exactly what I just said is give it time. Let it, let them matriculate through the season and figure this out because now they're there. And Tom Brady said in his postseason press conference before the wild card round is that this is what they play for. And this is what they play to get to. And it was a kind of a backhanded shot at, at, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, but this is why they're here and they're getting really good right now. Really quickly, but I'll speak slowly so that the words mean things to you. Okay, you ready? Brady has 32 wins in in the postseason. He's beaten 17 teams. The next closest person is 16 wins as a quarterback, and it's Joe Montana. Imagine that. So Brady has beaten more teams than Joe Montana had actual postseason wins. And the last thing, just to button this whole New England thing up, all I know is Tom Brady left and took a team that hadn't been to the playoffs in 13 years to the playoffs and hadn't won a playoff game in the last 18 years to a playoff win. Tom Brady left, and New England had their second worst season in the last 20 years and missed the playoffs for the first time in 12. That's it. I would just say, if we're talking about the comparison, I do think that by its very nature, the comparison is silly. Because if you have a lab experiment... (laughs) In order to assess two variables, the conditions of the two variables need to be the same. So unless Tom Brady left and was the quarterback of a non-Bill Belichick coached Patriots team with all the same tools available, then you could make an accurate comparison. And I'll explain to the listeners at home, not to you guys, because you're sharp football minds, why Tampa Bay has a better set of personnel for Tom Brady to work with because when you lose shitloads of games, you get really high draft picks. And when you get really high draft picks, you get really good players. So the reason why Bill Belichick doesn't have a lot of great players, one of the reasons I understand that his GMing is a point of contention with this group, but one of the big reasons is to get players like the wide receivers that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, you need to lose 14, 15 games a season for a while, which has never happened in New England as long as Bill Belichick has been the coach. So you can isolate this set of parameters down and say that, but because the two variables don't live in the same environment, one cannot replicate the results of the lab study. So here we are. Again, no way to know. Just no way to know. 
It was the most eloquent and scientific way that DK has ever just shot down one of my takes, ever. But he just dismantled it piece by piece, and now I, can, now I can't argue with him. So kudos. <laughs> so we go into the first game of Sunday, Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans. This, again, just another really good football game, right? Ravens win this one 20-13. Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff win. He's now 1-2 and two in the playoffs. He had a pretty good day. He had a very similar day passing as Russell Wilson, but on the ground, he reverted back to where he was last season. He was lights out this game. For everything that I've ever said bad about him in terms of his passing acumen in the playoffs, I still stand by that, by the way. 16 carries, 136 yards and a touchdown, in addition to throwing for 179 yards. You you just can't really compete with that. It's hard to do it. You have to have a really good defense. The Titans, I thought, had a better defense than I guess they did because it was terrible. They fell apart. When they were up 10 nothing in the first quarter, I was like, this is going to be a blowout. I cannot wait to come on this show and talk so much shit about Lamar Jackson. And then the Titans only scored three more points the rest of the game. I've been excited to get to this one because you guys, you and Bobby specifically, have talked so much shit about Lamar Jackson. And I'll reference our last show. I was hosting, so I was trying to remain neutral. But many a time we've argued... Um, about both Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson. And I was just happy to see that matchup come to fruition. I've always believed in the Ravens a lot more than you have, Mike. And I know other people have also believed in them. To see Lamar come in and and do that to you, to you specifically, that's what I was watching happen. I was watching Lamar do it to you specifically and Bobby. And, uh, and it was very enjoyable for me. But then the rest of my day got really depressing really quickly. Yeah, can't wait to talk about that. But uh, the one thing I will say is only in this game am I afforded the, uh, the ability to be proven wrong by Lamar Jackson and be proven absolutely correct by Derrick Henry. You cannot win a Super Bowl if your best player is a running back. Agreed. I was always on side with you for that. I never was scared of Derrick Henry once we got in the playoffs. I said, <laughs> running backs start to matter less when you hit the playoffs. Yep. So elite running backs, elite. So Derrick Henry came in. He got you down the first half, got you down the second half. The Ravens came in with a great game plan. Their defense is still solid. As a franchise, they love having a solid defense. Lamar played well. He did what he needed to do. He might not have been throwing the ball super well. And I, I have to say, we I didn't say this when we were talking about the Bills, but I cannot wait to see Lamar versus Josh Allen. That is going to be so much fun to watch. The, those two teams are crazy. There's going to be so many cool, chaotic plays. Every single play is going to break down <laughs> on both sides, like for both teams on offense. And it's just going to get crazy. So I'm super excited for that matchup. And that's why I'm so glad really deep down that the Ravens are were the victors here. I think that the Titans are better when they have a worse record, when they just sneak into the playoffs and they have to, they, and they can play the underdog card. Like, they're better. They had a home game. They already beat the Ravens last year. They had all this clout behind them. They came they, off of Vrabel a little bit this season, don't you think? I feel like he got outcoached in that game, and there wasn't a whole, like, Mike Vrabel red panty night the, 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 for the next week. Everybody just going crazy for Mike Vrabel, like, in the last season. You just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. 18 carries, 40 yards. What do you do when that doesn't work? Tannehill d- didn't do bad. Did not do bad. I, you have to, he actually, 18 to 26, 165, a TD and a pick. I would be willing to put on a long-term bet with you that we'll never see Ryan Tannehill win a Super Bowl. I would probably take that. I think Tennessee's a good team. I think they're going to be there every year for the next five years, but I don't think they're ever going to win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. I, I could agree with this, that. This is Mahomes' conference, dude. It's Mahomes' league. I was going to say that if you tried to argue with me. 
So we look at this and and I bringing up the points that you guys just made, I, I think John Harbaugh and the Ravens came into this with a very similar team to what they had last year with that very good defense, Lamar at quarterback. And they really just came in with a chip on their shoulder and a game plan to go and win this. And you never really stop and appreciate what they actually have on that defense. Now, granted, it's not like 1999, 2000s Ravens, but Pernell McPhee, Derek Wolf, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Matthew Judon, Patrick Queen, Calais Campbell is even still in the league playing for the. So it's like you have these names that are just have been mainstays in the league for the most part. Matthew Judon, obviously younger guy, Patrick Queen, a rookie. John Harbaugh just had these guys ready to go. And two things I got to bring up here is Baltimore celebrating on the Tennessee logo at Nissan Stadium. I I think that was a a disrespectful moment in a lot of ways, but I think it stemmed back a lot to last year's playoff loss. And then Lamar Jackson basically not shaking the hands of the Titans at the end of the game and saying there was no reason to. So I honestly think if I was Harbaugh, the shaking the hand thing, if I was Harbaugh, I'd be like, I don't give a shit what kind of game you have. If you don't go back out there and shake the quarterback's hand, you're not playing next week is what I would do if I was coaching that team. Just that's just me. The dance on the logo thing. Somebody should have shown that to Juju Smith-Schuster and been like, it's better when you do it after the game. Because <laughs> then you don't get the team that you're about to play super fired up to play you. Just like he did again. I think dancing on the logo, whatever. It was a chippy game. The conflict that the missing the point teams have been coming into with the Ravens and the Titans seemed to translate onto the field. And they were jawing at each other for the whole game. Made it super fun to watch. It was a great first game of the day for that reason. And I just, I made me respect the Ravens a little bit. Like they came in and they just like, they took their house. That was obviously their plot line. The whole season was like revenge on the Titans. We didn't like how they conducted themselves when they beat us as underdogs. Now we're coming back and we're going to smack them. We're going to dance on their logo. And Lamar's not going to shake the quarterback's hand. I just, I don't love that. I honestly don't love that. I, Cause it's like, don't get so swept up in the narrative that you can't respect your peer that does the same job as you and went out there and prepped as much as you did and worked as hard as you did. Just go shake the quarterback's hand. It's a thing. It's I'm into it. It's pageantry, but I love pageantry of any kind. So here we are. Yeah, especially in that situation. We don't have to line up and shake everybody's hand, but at least the important people. So let's get to the second game of the day. Let's turn Dave's smile upside down and talk about the Bears and the Saints. The Saints win this game 21 to 9. I agree with Mike. It was closer than the score alludes. So I don't want to attack Dave too much. I think I'm just jealous of my team isn't in it and his was. Dave, what were your thoughts on this game and the Bears performance? I think they played well in the first half. I think that they came in with a solid game plan and that game plan was to score touchdowns and they did not accomplish that when they needed to they were aggressive to start they were like our offensive problem is that when we get into the red zone we can't convert it into six we always leave it at three so they were trying to be aggressive early that didn't work out their defense did exactly their job which was to contain drew Brees and the saints they 100 contained them and if the offense had performed it definitely would have been a completely different story Mitch did his job in a way and Nagy did his job in a way and they they both turned the season around in a almost annoying just enough to both keep their jobs probably and I think that most Bears fans myself included are probably going to end up going all right I guess we'll try this one more year but it's I just wish it had been definitive one way or the other okay I see something let's bring these guys back they seem to have figured it out let's do it or 
it's done. The this experiment is over. Nagy's not that guy. There's things about Matt Nagy, like intangible things that I can't quite put my finger on that annoy me. And his decision making is inspired, it seems, by something he like read in his horoscope that morning sometimes. And I'm just he seems to be like this is the moment of destiny. He's one of those coaches. And I'm like, that's cool, man. But what route is he supposed to run in that situation? Like you've criticized Tomlin as being a motivator when he needs to be more of an X's and O's guy. Bobby's always going on and on about the clapper, about what's his name, Garrett in, in Dallas. And it's, you can be a good motivator and it's a great quality. Jurgen Klopp, the, the manager of Liverpool, my favorite like sports team in the whole wide entire universe is a wonderful motivator, but he's also a brilliant tactician. You need both to be a, a successful head coach. And to think Nagy was getting praised for handing off play calling responsibility because his ego didn't get involved. He handed off play calling responsibility to the offensive coordinator. And for some reason, the narrative in my head was different than the narrative everybody kept saying. The narrative was, that's embarrassing. Weren't you a play caller? Weren't you an offensive coordinator? Like, why can't you call the plays dumb? Like, what? I don't understand. And the, the offense did get better. But it's like, why were you the play caller in the first place? It's not a good look when you're chopping your quarterback and you have a Super Bowl level defense. You have an elite level defense and you're just still trying to figure this shit out on the offensive side of the ball. And it looks like you just got there. Like sometimes they play offense and it's like they just all met each other that day. And I'm like, just guys, what have you been doing all fucking week? Alan, <laughs> Mitch, Alan. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's like Robinson. Like, I don't even blame Alan Robertson at this point for, for being like, I don't know. I'm probably going to test the waters. Here's one thing I learned in this game. Alan Robinson isn't a number one, not a real one. He just isn't. Six catches, 55 yards. You figure out how to get more yards. You fight harder for that. He didn't. He caught everything thrown his way. What do you mean? Was that true? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Six or seven for 55 yards. But like that, that is. Come on, dude. No, you, that's underutilization of talent. That is not him not doing shit. What else was he supposed to do? He caught all the passes that they threw to him. How about one? That's pretty good. <laughs> for me, though, if it's, but if it's that easy to take him out of the game, is he a true number one? That's what I've learned. Or is that a flaw for Trubisky? Can you just not find him more times? And the plays are terrible. The plays are so bad. They're like, they, it's like they're listening to Chris Collinsworth. And that, and then they're designing plays around that. Like Chris Collinsworth is, I'd love to see him go deep once or twice. And Nagy's, oh, do you think that's a good idea, Chris? He's listening to him in his ear. And then they like go deep on a play that they look like they just ran. Like they just invented and never rehearsed. And it's and Mitch. And the thing is, Mitch was actually thrown super accurate, which is even more annoying because it's like just either fail or don't fail. But don't fail in this weird Mitch Trubisky way where you like look good when I watch you, but we still lost by a shitload and it's impossible to explain. Also, I will say the discipline issues were fucking serious. And that is on the coach. That is 100% on the coach. If you can't stop your guys jumping on a bite on a fourth and three, then you guys are just not well drilled. And that they looked every inch, the eight and 18 that snuck into the playoffs when that shit kind of shit was happening. And the wide receivers were getting ejected and ah, oh, God damn it. And the Saints knew they could get it because they had already gotten it once this season. So they knew they could get it to happen. One last thing. If you're ever inclined to punch somebody in the face on, on the football field, just fucking don't. How about you just don't do that? Don't cost yes. your team. And that that drop, that whims, whim, or whatever the fuck oh, is. Oh, I know. It hit him right in the hands. And the worst part about that drop is he was like, I feel like he was like already celebrating or doing some stupid shit like that. Dude, just make the play, dude. You're wide open. Just go get the ball. You're a professional NFL wide receiver. Just get, put your hands up there and snatch that thing out of the air. You don't need to let it drop into your arms. It's not a punt. And you're not trying to keep your stride. You've already burned the dude. You're in the end zone. Just He's on the ground. Just jump up and catch it. And he's the dude that got suspended for punching a cornerback in the face. And then 
Uh, Miller gets one. kicked out of the game, and it's, oh, yeah, same guy. They're different offenses, dropping a pass and punching a cornerback. But then Miller gets ejected in that game for smacking a dude in the head, even though that dude started it by talking shit to him. And I did think the refs were calling the game one. Whatever. I'm done. No, that's what we're talking about. It was the same corner from the Saints that got that essentially was part of both of those incidents. He obviously knows how to get under a team skin, and I don't hate him for that because that's gamesmanship. And you need to be able to not react to that shit. You need to be a grown up and realize that you're not, it's not smart to, to let him get under your skin like that. He's in your head. That's what you're telling me when you hit him. He's, you're telling me he got in your head. That's all you're telling me. So great job losing your shit and getting thrown out in a playoff game. That you wouldn't see the field on my team again if it was me. <laughs> so, let, well, all right. You know what, Dave? I, I'm going to calm you down for about five seconds and then maybe we'll work you back up with this because we're going to move on to the final game of Wild Card Weekend. So the the Saints move on. They'll play Tampa. But let's move on to the final game of Wild Card Weekend, and that is the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Browns win this game 48-37. to I don't know where the Steelers' defense was, but the Browns' defense at least showed up for the first half. Let's break this one down because how do we describe this? Mike, how do we describe this? There was this little thing that happened when the Steelers were 11-0. Someone in this room on a microphone on my screen sent out a tweet saying, I'm looking at all the Patriot fans just like you're just shitting their pants about a 16-0 Steelers team which led to a debate about are they good or are they bad? I've been saying since then, I thought the Steelers were a bad 11-0 team. I thought that they were had an overinflated record. They had a lot of flaws. I think that they'd be a really good 10-6 team, but a really bad 13-3. They finished 12-4. They limped into the playoffs. What we saw on Sunday was a team with the Cleveland Browns playing to win and the Pittsburgh Steelers thinking that they already had. They didn't value the Cleveland Browns, they barely lost them the week before against just playing their backups. So they probably thought they had this in the bag. And there were a few weird things that happened. I'll give you that. But what I, what I saw was James Conner is not a good running back. He just isn't. Juju Smith-Schuster is an elite I have, I have to argue with almost everything you've said. So if you keep saying stuff, it's going to be hard to keep track. I'm almost done. I'm giving you a lot here. I, I think what we saw, again, was just the defense – wasn't as good as they were at the beginning of the year for whatever reason. They have injuries, I know. But they were a really bad 12-4 and team, and the better team won yesterday. Okay, so just to start, to deconstruct that little fairy tale that you spun at the very beginning, you saw a tweet, blah 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 I tweeted a response <laughs> to someone completely unrelated to this podcast yep. that said, after the Steelers went 11-0, that evening, it was a night game, I remember, that evening, she said the 07 Patriots would beat this year's Steelers by 40 to nothing. And my honest to goodness reaction when I read that emotionally in my soul was you sound scared. So <laughs> I went on to Twitter and I said to her, basically paraphrasing myself, you sound fucking scared. You then saw my tweet because you follow me on Twitter because we do a podcast together you went and then you re- you responded to it you sought out that statement so it didn't appear on your screen as if i ca- you came looking for this fight That's with great. me because i was arguing with some other lady now would that be true would the 07 patriots beat the this your steelers 40 to nothing now at the time i didn't think so but yes <laughs> they actually absolutely <laughs> would now 
Whose fault is that? I think I've been defending the Steelers and I think a lot of my points are valid. I think that they are a talented team. I think they have a lot of really good personnel. I think they have great young wide receivers, probably the best young core of wide receivers in the NFL. Chase Claypool is a beast. I think that to just reverse your point about, about running backs, like they went down so much so early. I don't think you can make a judgment one way or the other on Connor in this game because why would you be running the ball? Because you've got to try and score. He's above average, but like whatever, we've had that debate. We don't need to have it again. And Juju needs to stop firing up the other team. Like instead of dancing on the fucking logo, he came out with more bullets and board material for the Browns and was like, the Browns are just the Browns. They're the same team we play every year. And it's dude, shut up. I like Juju. He's a good dude. He does good things for his community. He is funny. He likes to have a good time. He likes to talk shit, but come playoff time, you are firing them up, bro. You cannot be doing that stuff. And I hate to be the New England person here, but Bill Belichick would have shut that shit down after the first one. Mike Tomlin needs to get control of his locker room. It's always been leaky. There's always been more stuff coming out from stars. I know they've had some problematic people there like Antonio Brown. He went um, on Facebook live in the locker room during a post-game yeah, speech. Yeah, but I mean, I just think it's like it, it, Antonio Brown was also on the Patriots. He didn't do that shit. <laughs> and then what's his name? James Harrison came out, played his season for the Patriots and was like, they run a much tighter ship over here, Mikey. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you got to get it together. I, I think all the mistakes land at the feet of Tomlin. And they don't. the reason that they screwed all that stuff up and got in that hole in the first place is because they completely abandoned their running game from the start. Like they, from the beginning and I, and then to not go for it on fourth and one, when your comeback is just written in the stars, that's such a cowardly maneuver. And to punt like that, I've said this every year since I watch football, I've said this at least once. If you can't get a yard, don't even fucking talk to me. You don't deserve to win. You need to be able to get a yard when it counts, when you need it. You have to be able to do that. And to shy away from that, ugh, made me feel gross that I defended them all season. You were right about them. They are very flawed. I still wouldn't say they stink because, like I said, I think they have a lot of talent, but they're very fundamentally flawed. And they have so many free agents coming up this season. They, they could look like a completely different team next year because I think Ben's cooked. Yeah, if Ben Roethlisberger at 38 years old is dropping back 68 times, there's a problem. To his credit, he completed 47 out of 68 of those throws and for 500 yards. He did fine, but four touchdowns, four picks. It was not a stellar performance. And I'd, I'd love to blame Ben because I think he's a, I just think he's a rotten human being, but it's Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin did not have the players that he needed to have ready to play. They weren't focused. He did not curtail their focus. Whoever made really good halftime adjustments. But when the momentum swung, you're right. Fourth and one, he punted it. Yeah, they had the momentum. And they, they've made comebacks this season. They did it two weeks ago against the Colts. And But even as a franchise, you said yourself, Russell Wilson's not built to dig himself out of holes. Ben Roethlisberger is in my top three choices to have a quarterback coming back from a deficit. He plays great in those situations. So... To kill the momentum like that, that falls squarely at the feet of Mike Tomlin. It would have been nice if Ben jumped on that fumble, though. Or someone jumped on that fumble. Didn't just look at it like it was just a pedestrian? Yeah, that was pathetic. (laughs) Talk about not coming to play, dude. When your team is rallying and it's close, right? It's not 28 nothing anymore. You've now scored the last 23 unanswered points. In the midst of that, you have a fourth and one and your coach says no. If I'm a player, I feel like you don't believe in us. You're not just playing stats. You don't think we can get a yard. That was the most demoralizing part of the game. I think you're right. So 
you brought up the free agents that the Steelers could have, and I think you guys have very effectively broken down this game. 26 free agents for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Marquise Pouncey has said that he will probably retire, and Ben is probably done too, Mike. I think I'm with you on that. I threw for 500 yards yesterday. I think he's cooked, but I think he will retire. I do just want to say, because I feel like we did a pretty big disservice to the Cleveland Browns. Like we talked, we dissected this entire game and never said, they never even mentioned them. Like they, That's they they're about to go get waxed in the next round. This was a failure by the Steelers, not an achievement by the Browns. They're playing, they're playing the Chiefs. Like that's going to be, that's going to be tough. But Baker showed up, didn't make many mistakes. Three touchdowns, no picks. A little caveat is if Ben is not with Pittsburgh and Phillip Rivers retires, I could see Ben Roethlisberger in an Indianapolis uniform. For a year, that's a dome team, very easy offense. But I think he's, I think he's gassed in this offense. I don't think he can't be what they need him to be in Pittsburgh, which is a gutsy quarterback that takes a lot of hits, and that's because he's taken a lot of hits for 15 years. They always backed him up with a super strong running game, though. And I feel like they didn't. They really the blocking, the run blocking wasn't good this year. I feel like they abandoned it early in games when they started to panic towards the end of the season. I still think that there's a lot to like about them. And I think that there's a lot to do there, but I, but damn, you just put that thought in my head, him instead of Phillip Rivers on the Colts. I feel like the Colts would have won that game. Yeah. But do you think Colts fans want to do that again with a late thirties quarterback and go on like a one year run and possibly make the playoff? Cause they were pretty close there at the end. I, I don't know. If Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback, comes knocking on your door in your franchise, you let him in. You give him the keys for you because the, the Colts have a strong running game. They have good receivers, and they had a top-10 NFL defense, and they play inside. It would be the best situation for Roethlisberger. Plus, think about how wild that lineage is. When, like The Colts literally went Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. I know. Right, this don't leave Jacoby out of that. Don't leave Jacoby yeah, or, Brissett or, out Kurt, of that. or Curtis Painter. But we get your point. They had four legendary quarterbacks, one after the other. Yeah. Like, it's such a Jim Ursay move, too. But so two things before we we move on. Some of those free agents are Bud Dupree, Avery Williamson, Vance McDonald, Alejandro Villanueva, Mike Hilton, Tyson Alualu, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Conner, just to name a few for the Steelers. So that team's going to look very different. But to give you a, a little bit more on the Browns, Mike said it, Baker Mayfield showed up 21-34, 263, and three touchdowns. Quarterbacks have won Super Bowl MVPs with those exact numbers, or at least very close to them. While Nick Chubb was the leading rusher, Kareem Hunt, who has been used very effectively, effectively by the Browns this year, eight for 48 and two touchdowns. And then not only did Baker throw three touchdowns, but he threw to three different receivers, Landry Chubb and Austin Hooper. So a a very good day. Uh, As Dave said, it was a failure by the Steelers. The, The Steelers allowed that Browns defense to just, take over that game and thank thank goodness they they did in a lot of ways because a a lot of the guys on that team had great days and all four interceptions that were thrown by ben were thrown to four different guys so that wraps up the wild card weekend we have the rams the ravens the bills the browns the buccaneers and the saints coming out of the the wild card weekend and we will now see the green bay packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I just want to kind of fire through these four games real quick. On Saturday next week, we have the number one seed in the NFC hosting the number six seed in the NFC. It's the Packers hosting the Rams. Who knows what the weather is going to look like there because the Rams are going to be away from SoFi Stadium. Can the Rams defense give them an ample chance against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? 
Yes. Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams. I think that's a great matchup. And I think if he's not careful, Aaron Rodgers will make a lot of mistakes that he cannot overcome. Yeah, I agree. If they're able to do it to Russell Wilson, they're able to do it to Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is the worst quarterback in the playoffs than he is in the regular season, and that's been proven. As much as I want the Packers to actually win this game, because I would love to see Brady versus Rodgers in a conference matchup, just for storyline purposes and like legacy purposes, Because I and also because I think Brady would wax him. That'd be great, but I think the Rams are actually, I really do think, they're, I believe in them to that point. But then they're going to go ahead and lose to Tom Brady, so it's fine. It'll come down to this, who's softer, Jared Goff or Aaron Rodgers. The second game of the day on Saturday is the number five seed Baltimore Ravens in the AFC traveling to the number two seed Buffalo Bills. Dave got me so fired up for this game earlier. I can't wait for well, this game. This is going to be, because I, I almost feel like it's that meme of the Spider-Man, the the Spider-Man meme right. them pointing back <laughs> at each other because these teams are so similar. Like both of these quarterbacks are so dynamic. Both of these teams have two headed monsters in the backfield. Both of these teams have really good receivers. I think Stefan Diggs is the best receiver on both of these teams. The Ravens have the better tight end. The Ravens have the better kicker. I've always had a man crush on Justin Tucker. I've always loved him and always will. But what do you guys think about this one? I think Buffalo keeps this rolling, but what do you guys think? Anyone who tells you they know how this game is going to go is lying. (laughs) It's going to be so crazy. It's going to be like trying to put a bunch of cats into a knapsack. It's just going to look crazy. Like I said earlier, every single play is going to break down. It's going to be Allen's dynamism versus Lamar's dynamism. It's going to probably come down to the deciding factor will probably be if Lamar can air the ball out or not. He's not going to be able to do what he did last game, especially with the speed and efficacy of the Bills offense. So, yeah, it's going to come down to if Lamar can make some plays with his arm instead of his feet. And I'm so excited to see it. It's going to be so crazy. Like They're they're the two most fun quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So what's not to like? To follow up on, on Dave's point about if someone tells you that, that they know how this game's going to go, they're lying. I know how this game's going to go. Uh, it, it's going to come down to Josh Allen making more throws in tighter windows throughout the entire game, which will make sure that the Buffalo Bills win. They're both one and two in the playoffs now. They're not great uh, playoff quarterbacks. I'll tell you what, if you know how it's going to go, don't watch it. And we'll text you about it. <laughs> I just don't think that Lamar's running for 145 yards this game. No, I don't think so either. I do think it's going to come down to his arm, but I do believe he can make it work. All right, so let's move into Sunday because the early game on Sunday at 3.05 is the Kansas City Chiefs, the one seed in the AFC, hosting the six-seed Cleveland Browns. I don't see the Chiefs making the kind of mistakes the Steelers made. I think we'll all agree on that. So can that Browns defense carry that momentum into Kansas City? What do we think for this one? This segment shouldn't take long. And this shouldn't take long is probably what Patrick Mahomes will be saying to the rest of the Kansas City Chiefs in the locker room. The Kansas City Chiefs could take the Cleveland Browns less seriously than the Pittsburgh Steelers did and still beat them 31 nothing. Yeah, that's my prediction. Officially, I'm going to really stick my neck on the line and say the Chiefs are going to beat the Browns. When the Chiefs played down to the Patriots earlier in the year, that was a one-possession game going into the fourth. But then it wasn't. Then, then Mahomes did what he always does, and he steps on the gas. So I think that this could be close, but it's going to be 24 points by, by the Chiefs at, by the end. They will screw around, and then they won't for 10 minutes, and they'll run up the score. 
That seems like a, the MO of the Chiefs, right? They screw around a little bit at the beginning and then they take off. They're, they're still the, the most dynamic team. We can talk about the Bills and the Ravens as much as we want, but the Kansas City Chiefs, the only thing they don't have going for them, and Bobby brought it up towards the end of the season, was that they seem to be losing momentum, almost like people had more tape on them. They were game planning towards them, but I, this is a whole different ball game, and they've had a week off. And like they lost momentum, like Mahomes didn't play the last week. They are the best team in football on offense, hands down. And Cleveland's a nice story. It's great that they won a game without their head coach. I love that they beat the Steelers, but this is over. This is it. It's a wrap. Kansas City Buffalo would be a really fun AFC championship game. If there's any teams left that can beat the Kansas City Chiefs, they're not playing the Kansas City Chiefs this coming weekend. They're playing each other. I almost am pulling for the Bills because I think the Bills have a better shot matchup-wise against the Chiefs, and I think they have momentum on their side, If they, especially if they beat Baltimore in like what I think is going to be a good game, as we discussed. But Baltimore also has a decent shot at beating them, but realistically, neither of them have that big of a shot at beating them. But again, that's going to be fun. To see Mahomes against one of those two dynamic quarterbacks is also going to be fun, so I'm glad both those teams are still in it for that reason. I like the Bills and the Ravens. I hope it's the Bills. I just think they have it more put together right now. And Sean McDermott, I think he is becoming one of the top coaches in the league. It's almost quietly that he's doing it because that Bills team, if you said, hey, who's the coach of the Buffalo Bills? I don't think a lot of people that aren't big fans of the NFL would really know who Sean McDermott is. So final game of the weekend, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveled to New Orleans. Third meeting between these two teams this year. The Buccaneers are coming off a big win last weekend against the Washington football team. It's an indoor game. It's Breeze Brady. This is fun to me. This is like the Allen Jackson matchup, but I can hear my 22-year-old self screaming inside of me. This is going to be so frigging cool to watch these two guys face off. What do you guys take of this one? It's not those two guys facing off, though. It's Tom Brady versus Drew Brees sometimes and Taysom Hill sometimes and like James Winston once or twice. <laughs> And I just think that's like a white heart, a white hot garbage way to play football. And I think that as much as I'm mad at the Saints right now, and this is 100% why I'm saying this, it was just so ugly and depressing to lose to a team that was doing that stupid ass shit that never works. It's pick your quarterback and run the offense. And if you want to bring him out once or twice to do some weird shit or to like hard count the snap or something stupid or stand in like the kind of weird tight end blocking position or whatever you want to do, that's fine. But to just try to actually play quarterback by committee at this point in the season. Ugh, I just think it's ugly. I I think pick your quarterback, either give Taysom Hill the job or let Drew go out or on a shield, but it's not Brady versus Breeze, not in the sense that we would love to see that happen. That Breeze is just not at his prime anymore. But for Brady, I think his bulletin board material now is that there aren't very many guys that he has a losing record to in the NFL. He is three and five against Drew Brees. Is that true? He was three and three entering this year and he's 0 and two. I don't know if Tom Brady's counting that stuff. I think I think Brady, his first game as a Buccaneer was in the Superdome and they got waxed. So now if he gets to go back there and do to them what they it's did. It's a divisional game too. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. That's interesting. That's good for narrative. This is his payback. And I think I, I think this, the Saints are soft. I didn't want them on my team in that draft show last week. I don't want anything to do with Drew Brees in the playoffs. Brady will show you why. He is the GOAT this week one more time. Dave, really the only reason they've gone to that two-quarterback system, and I understand your frustration especially, is... But it's just garbage to watch. It it, it, it It's fun. But it's it might be garbage, but that that's the reason why they did it. Otherwise, I don't think they ever do it. But Taysom Hill Every was Every time Taysom Hill role. took the field against Chicago, 
we absolutely destroyed him because we were like, what are you doing? Either beat us with Drew Brees or go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if that's the game plan that Chicago set out, then the Buccaneers can do that for sure. All right, guys, we've effectively broken, recapped the the wild card weekend and broken down a little bit the divisional rounds. We do have, for the listeners out there that have made it this far with us, we did have a draft episode last week in a playoff draft. So just a, a quick recap of everything. Prior to the NFL season, we did a prediction show where myself, Rayshon, and Craig on our team, and we made our selections for the AFC while Dave, Mike, and Bobby made their selections for the NFC. That ended in a dead heat at the end of the season when you included our game shows that we played during the year. We'll try and see how many of these Craig can can link in the show notes below. All of them, he says. He's going to link all of them. So we'll link our episodes five and six, which were the AFC and NFC predictions, and the three game shows. We came out of that. It was tied at 10 apiece. After the wild card weekend, it's now tied at 13 apiece. So, guys, we're moving right along with this game show here, and it's been great down the way. If you have an opportunity, go back and listen to our uh, playoff draft show last week where myself and Ray took on Mike and and Bobby in our draft show and made our picks for the weekend. It's going to be fun because this weekend we each have four teams left on each side and they're all playing each other on each side. So if we're, it's not as exciting on, on that way. This could be, but this could be the week where it actually, no, it could just scrap that. There's not, not, we're not going to, we're not going to learn anything about this game this week. No, right? we're not. Yeah. We're going to, we're, we're going to walk into the championship Sunday that tied. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have each gotten nine points in the playoffs. So wasted 15 seconds of your life. I apologize. Uh, That's all right. (laughs) I was rambling anyway, so I needed the breakup. But and go check out our our Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook. We do have a graphic up on Instagram, keeping everybody updated on on how our playoff draft is going. And those links to our social media will also be down in the show notes. So, guys, thank you very much for for listening in and and joining us here uh, for another episode of Missing the Point. Dave Clark, Mike Marcangelo, any final words here before we head home for the for the evening? I'm ready for the chaotic event that's going to be the the Buffalo Bills versus the Baltimore Ravens. I, it's going to be like for all your WWE fans out there, it's going to be like a Royal Rumble. You just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be so chaotic, and I, I just I can't wait to see it. Yeah, dude, I, I love a Royal Rumble. I would just like to say props to Bill Belichick for refusing the Medal of Honor from Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump, and have a nice day, everybody. So again, for Dave Clark, Mike Marcangelo. And the best EP we could find. I'm Joe Malkin, your host. Thank you for joining us for this recap of uh, Wild Card Weekend. And we'll see you after the divisional games. This is going to be a fun one. Talk to you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. 
Electricast. Electricast. 